Hello and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I am your host, Emma Gunn-Awardner, and I'm joined in this episode by Elizabeth Hurley in her role as the face and ambassador for the Breast Cancer Campaign, which you may be familiar with if you know that every October, I think, as I'm sure many of you do, I think pink. I think of the pink ribbon, which I proudly wear with pride. Now, this campaign honours the life and legacy of Evelyn Lauder. She was the co-creator of the Pink Ribbon and champion of the breast cancer movement. And it celebrates a landmark birthday. It's 25 years old this year. And a lot has changed. It was started because women were being affected by breast cancer, but nobody was talking about it. And the campaign has raised a huge amount of awareness has created a very open dialogue and discussion about the disease. And quite fittingly, this year, um, what used to be Breast Cancer Awareness has now um, changed ever so slightly to the Breast Cancer Campaign. And the reason for that is because that dialogue is so wide now that it's active in 70 countries around the world and has raised more than $70 million to support the global research, education, medical services, and also to fund the medical research grants through the Breast Cancer Research Foundation, which was set up again by Evelyn Lauder shortly after establishing the Pink Ribbon Breast Cancer Awareness Campaign. It's a conversation we need to, need to have. It's a subject that's very close to my heart. The, I just, look, just being really honest about it, it's a subject that terrifies me. I'm scared of it. It is, it has occurred in my family. Therefore, um, my instinct, unfortunately, is to run away and hide from it because I find tackling it head on quite terrifying. But that's exactly what this campaign is designed to counter. We shouldn't be scared of it. We should be talking about it. We should be sharing our experiences. We should be vigilant. We should be checking ourselves regularly and informing ourselves. And actually, Estee Lauder and the Breast Cancer Campaign are an excellent resource for this because... They can give you all the information you need in order to be more knowledgeable and knowledge is power and in the last 20 years in the campaign's uh, life mortality rates from breast cancer have decreased by 38 percent and actually elizabeth has got some more statistics that she uh, can share during the episode um there are global efforts and i'm sure you will know that if you go to any estee lauder counter in the month of october you will see pink ribbons that you can pin to your lapel. I always do, I urge you to do the same. But um, you can also buy lots of products, the proceeds to which will go to fund that all important research. As a beauty editor, it's something I've been close to in the sense that every October I would turn my pages pink and I would list and share details of all of the products that benefited these incredible causes. I'm very happy to turn over this podcast uh, to the campaign this year. Um, I caught up with Elizabeth at Estee Lauder HQ. We're celebrating 25 years of this incredible campaign. She's the face and ambassador of the campaign and it's just, a re it's a really important subject and she speaks so eloquently on it. I was very honoured, as I am every year, to be invited to um, an illumination every year a landmark is lit pink. Um, I have seen the Eden Project go pink. I have seen Nelson's Column go pink. 
um, many, many, many um, landmarks around the world. And it's a symbol of this incredible campaign. And Elizabeth was there, as she always is, to share some of the details, some of the advancements in research. And it is something that we cover in quite some detail in the show. Now, I will be putting links to all of the pink products, as I like to call them, that uh, you can browse, I think, already the uh, breast cancer campaign box, the special edition box may have already sold out, but there are still products available and those pink ribbons are still available on counter. But the most important thing is, is to keep this conversation going. 25 years ago, no one was talking about it. People were dying. 25 years later, people are talking about it all around the world and mortality rates from breast cancer are going down. If you're a regular listener to the show, you'll know that um, there are certain topics that I like to cover with all of my guests, and Elizabeth is no different. We talk about life, love, family, and um, the importance of saying no actually came up a lot. Uh, She also shared with me a rather excellent tip that um, a certain Dame Joan Collins had shared with her, a beauty tip, in fact. Um, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Please do visit the links in the show notes. They are on iTunes and they are at emmagunnawardner.com or the far easier to type into your uh, browser, emmagums.com. But there are some excellent resources, not least uh, a documentary that uh, the BCC has commissioned, uh, which is The Unravelling of the Pink Ribbon which is creating a breast cancer free world, which highlights the campaign and its progress. I'm not going to dilly dally anymore. I think the most important thing is to speak to Elizabeth. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the show. As ever, if you want to get in touch with me, please do email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or head over to emmagums.com and click the little envelope, write a message and that message will come straight to me personally into my inbox. And please do share your thoughts about the show on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is at Emma Guns, at E-M-M-A-G-U-N-S. So here it is, a special episode of The Emma Guns Show featuring Elizabeth Hurley. But we're actually here uh, chatting to you today because it is the 25th anniversary of the Breast Cancer Awareness Campaign. You have been working with BCA now for how many years? 22. Wow, this is my 22nd year of um, being the ambassador for the campaign and it's been an astonishing journey, it really has. Um, when I joined the campaign, when Evelyn Lauder, who was Estee Lauder's daughter-in-law, when I first joined the Estee Lauder companies in um, 1995, she told me that she just started a new campaign mm-hmm. and um, she said, will I help? And I said, of course, in any way I can. And she explained to me what it was. And as soon as she told me that um, she'd been really uh, inspired by the AIDS activists that were very active at that time, they'd created a red ribbon for AIDS, they were very vocal, they were brilliant at what they did, and she said, I'm just looking around and women are dying of breast cancer everywhere and mm-hmm. nobody's talking about it. Um, I'm setting out to change it. And back then, I hadn't heard of the pink ribbon at that time, she'd only invented it two years earlier. Um, the word hadn't really spread so much then. They just had a handful of research scientists working for them, not like the 250 they have today. And um, it was just a completely different time. Mm. So different. And over the 22 years, we've just seen so much change in attitudes towards breast cancer. The fact that we're sitting here talking for your podcast mm. about breast cancer, the fact that I've been on television all day talking about breast mm. cancer, the fact that all over the world, beautiful global um, 
buildings are being illuminated for breast cancer. We've just come a long way. And, and that's just the awareness side. The, the, the medical side too has come on in such enormous strides since I started talking about breast cancer that it's a great movement to have been part of. And we now need to keep the conversation going until mm. there is no more breast cancer, until the research scientists have found the final clue. Well, I was trying to think about the obvious question is what progress have you seen? You can put your sunglasses on. Sorry, Listeners, it's, it's very bright in this room. And these prescriptions, so I can now see you too. <laughs> tell me, if it's too annoying, tell me not Sorry if that's horrible. No, no, it's, it's fabulous. Um, I was thinking about the obvious question is what progress have you uh, seen? But from my perspective, the listeners know that I am a beauty editor. I've been to the events that you've, you've given your talks and they've been very impassioned and very um, detailed. And I wondered whether the fact that every year the stats that you quote change quite dramatically. Yep. And last night was a great example of something like um, one of the stats changed from well, up to 90% in terms of survival of stage one. And that must be, is that a way that you measure like the involvement and the success of the campaign? It is. The mortality rates from uh, breast cancer have reduced by 38% since the late 80s. Um, many, many, many women, more women are surviving their cancers. Mm. Funnily enough, detect the, the more cancers are being detected, but that could well be also because of the campaign, because they're being found earlier. Mm. And of course, when um, tumours are found earlier, they're much more treatable. There's a 90% survival rate amongst women who, have, who are diagnosed early mm -hmm. with breast cancer, um, which you know, brings, everything always brings me back to my grandmother's story, mm. who, um, when she was finally diagnosed, having found her lump and not told anybody for a year, when she was finally diagnosed, she was, I couldn't tell you what stage her tumour was at because we didn't have the conversation because mm. we didn't talk about it. Um, I think if a close friend of ours today was diagnosed, we'd know everything about it. I was mm. talking to a very nice lady today who's a survivor who had breast cancer a few years ago. And I said, how much information were you given about your particular breast cancer? She said, I was told everything. I knew which strain it was, I knew which chemicals they were treating it, how they were treating it. She said, I was involved in every step. And I said, is that just because you were you, because she was in the media? Mm. And she said, no, absolutely not. She said, everybody I've spoken to, there's a great deal of information that's imparted to women now mm. when they're diagnosed. It didn't happen. My grandmother knew nothing. She knew nothing before and she knew nothing at the end. All she knew is that she was dying. Terrible time. Mm. Terrible time. So I don't know what stage her tumour was when it was finally diagnosed and treated tumours, she had a double mastectomy, but um, I know that if when she first found a lump, well perhaps, I don't know how long it had been there, how long has been anything, but um, if she'd been, you know, if she'd learned to check her breasts every month and if she had done from a young age, like we've been encouraging mm. women to do for 25 years now, um, who knows what would have happened. Yeah, it's, um, it's sad, but also hopeful yeah. when you think about what you've been a huge part of creating this awareness. We wear pink ribbons in October and we're more, not just October, we're more vocal and we talk about it more the year round. Well, very much so. I mean, I'm only a very small cog in the wheel. There are phenomenal mm. people who've been part of this campaign and obviously unbelievable research scientists mm. that work for the foundation. I'm a tiny part of it. I'm a vocal part of it. Um, not only during, I mean, most of our activities are in October, but we fundraise throughout the year. Um, and yes, it's, it's, it has, for me, it's been one of the most important parts of my working career mm. to be able to have this. And I think the fact that I started off at Estee Lauder as a model, 
and at that time they only had one model, that was me. So <laughs> I did everything. Um, now they have lots of spokes models who um, shoot different parts of you know fragrance, skincare. I did everything when I started, but the fact that running parallel to that was doing this for them too mm. has really made my job so special. And I've seen what a brilliant company they are for people to work with. I've spent a lot of time with many of their employees who've um, been diagnosed with breast cancer. Knowing that one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer means that when you're working for a company that employs tens of thousands of women, there's going to be a lot. Mm. And survivors in the Essen Order Company often join in on events with us. And it's just it's fantastic to mm. see them and talk to them. We gave a talk earlier today for about 200 employees, many of whom are survivors. It's great, great feeling. I can imagine. Yeah. You once said, I have three lives, actress, model, producer, sometimes aware that there's a fourth life that's somewhat neglected, which is living a bit. That was a long time ago. Um, and of course, since then, I had my child. Mm. So I believe that was probably what, I didn't know it at the time, but that could well have been what was missing. Um, and since having my child, you know, he's now 15 and a half, um, you know, my life changed completely when I had him. Mm. I, I didn't make a movie for eight years. I stayed at home, so I continued to work for Estee Lauder and I did other ch smaller jobs, but not mm. ones that took me away for big chunks of time. Um, it was the best thing I ever did. I loved it. Mm. I don't regret a second of it. But um, that's probably that was probably the living bit <laughs> that I meant, which meant not living out of a suitcase and not just flying the whole time. This well, is going to sound very... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you sort of hit the scene and it just escalated from there. There was no sort of small crescendo well, into well it's in, of course well two things on that um i was 29 by the time that happened mm. and looking back i think i was incredibly lucky to have those years of relative anonymity but working so mm. i started working when i was 21 so i'd had eight years in the business where i'd worked a lot i'd made a lot of movies a lot mm. of tv I'd never had a modeling job before I got my Estee Lauder one. But um, I'd had time to grow mm. out of the public eye. And sometimes, you know, I look at people who become very famous in their teens, and I think that's harder. Much, much, much harder. Well, there's a theory, I'm sure you've heard it, that uh, you stay at the age at which you became famous. So I'm 29. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and some people are 14. But child stars, then, yeah. that's tough. I think it is tough. It's the same for sportsmen. And mm. women actually, because you know they peak at when do they peak in their teens, mm. in their late teens, and you know that that I think too life become, can become a little unreal at mm. times. So I see that, and I I really appreciate that I had those years where I could learn my trade quietly. Mm. I could make mistakes with my clothes and hair and makeup quietly mm. nobody saw apart from my own photo album which <laughs> we can certainly have a laugh at that but um it, it's not in the public domain yeah lucky what about business because you set up a business in these years as well i did i did um and it was a it was a great time for that because i i wanted to do something that meant i could still do the school runs and make shepherd's pie and stuff at home but i wanted to work obviously mm. so i started up my own business businesses at that time i only kept going with one of them um, which meant I could work around my son's waking hours. Mm. And yeah, it worked pretty well. Um, the beachwear business, Elizabeth Hurley Beach, is what I've kept doing throughout the time, but I was an organic farmer. Mm -hmm. I had my own uh, snack bars and beef jerky, all 
low calorie and quite delicious and organic <laughs> and they were great it once I started working again I realized I couldn't keep doing all that but it was a it was a really great time trying all these things because you um you moved out didn't you you now live on a lot of land you have a farm yeah um was that like a big transition of saying well this is I've had I'm having this life and I can have this life but actually I want to really nurture and be outside and be yeah. in Wellingtons I needed to for a while I really did um yeah I mean I was 36 when I had my son and I felt that I just hadn't really stood still for a really long time mm. I hadn't I didn't live at home I lived in a suit out of a suitcase and in hotel rooms ever since I started working and I just I just I just didn't feel I had any roots mm. and I didn't want my son to have that as his reality I didn't want him to think it was normal mm. to um, never be at home and to, to not have any regular hours at all so it, it was an important thing to do I tried to do it in London but it was difficult because I didn't really have much privacy mm. so I did end up moving to Gloucestershire where we lived very happily um, now I've moved even further out to Herefordshire I still have a house in London and I spend time in London but my home is in the country mm. and you mentioned shepherd's pie are you an here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs coming off their parents plan or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Awesome cook? No. I'd like to put that record straight, straight away. I'm not an awesome cook. I cook, but I, I'm like a, a mummy cook. Right. Roasts and, you know, soups and not a, not a chef at all. I can't make things look beautiful on the plate or anything like that. It's nutritious and mm. wholesome, but it's... No, I'm not a chef. Right. Okay. I, I don't know about you. I love preparing, like, a big roast for my family. I love doing roast, too. I find it quite therapeutic. So do I. And then I like nurturing my family. I like feeding them. I like feeding people, too. <laughs> Thinking that they're well. Yeah, no, I, I, I love feeding people as well. I get all that. My father taught me how to make a roast. Well, I always say that my father had the best roast potatoes in the world. He said his mother. He said his mother patch on his mother's roast potatoes. So everybody has roast potato competitions in my house. Annoyingly, my sisters are better than mine. <laughs> Is there a secret to the perfect roast? She uses goose fat. My father didn't. Oh, yeah, yeah, she no, does. Yeah, it does make a difference. Delicious, I know. But then that's, you know, you can't overindulge. Can't be too often. I always wear makeup as I've never seen the point of looking less than your best. Well, that's true. Mm-hmm. I was in, in some ways when out of the blue Esther Lauder wanted me to work for them it, it, I was a good choice because I had been obsessed with makeup for a very long time mm. so um, and I, I think you know also representing a beauty brand has meant that 
I have a responsibility towards them mm. to look relatively presentable at all times. Um, so that, you know, that's probably easier than the bettered me in, you know, attempting to keep it together. But also, I did start wearing makeup really young, actually. Mm. I had aunts that gave me eyeshadows. Was lip gloss didn't really exist then. But um, eyeshadows and other makeup things sort of around nine. The transformative nine power ten. when you're that little yeah. and a bit of blush. And I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. I was given a silver eyeshadow, which I loved. It was on a little sponge applicator. I got silver and my sister got moss green. This was the 70s. And we loved them. We just adored them. My father was furious. We used, didn't make any difference. We still use them. So yeah, no, I've always loved makeup. And one of the things that I saw on your Instagram feed recently that really made me chuckle was I think it was actress talk. And me and Joan. With you. And Shot me. by my son. I don't. <laughs> and is Damien your um, cinematographer? Well, <laughs> well, have you noticed during term time there's less pictures? Uh, <laughs> Well, you know what? He's, he's got quite a good eye. Mm. He likes it. He enjoys it. Um, he makes little movies of his own, which often I have to star in, little bits of fiction. But yeah, he does, he likes, he does reportage. And he loved, I mean, we did, obviously. He gave us our lines for that, as it mm. happened. We weren't really saying that to each other. But he <laughs> set it up. And um, yeah, he likes shooting that sort of thing a lot. And Joan's hysterical. Honestly, it, was, it made me absolutely cry out with laughter because you always know that I don't call her Joan it feels inappropriate like Dame Joan Dame Joan to us obviously um, has, a, has a wicked sense of humour she so does it's just um, it must be incredible working with her I love working with Joan we had some really good scenes together this mm. season um, she's fabulous she's got unbelievable energy it's funny because um, Evelyn Lauder you know who started this campaign mm. probably she'd probably be of similar ish age to um Joan, both those ladies have twice as much energy as I've ever had. They are phenomenous. Mm. Um, Evelyn was the most inspirational woman ever, and I'm inspired by Joan too. Mm. She's great. Yeah, I mean, she's icon idol. My Instagram feed is full of pictures of her. Is it? It's incredible. Yeah, I she love is. her. She is. Have you ever interviewed her? I, have, I want to, but equally I'm terrified. You shouldn't be. You, she'd love to be interviewed. I desperately want to chat to her because I think she's. She knows a, a lot about one. beauty. She gave me one very good tip once. She said that um, in her car, in her house, in the downstairs loo, she always has a pot of eye cream. And every time she would visit that room <laughs> and um, washes her hands. Every time she was passed. She always, <laughs> she passes that room. She always um, pats on a little bit more eye cream around here. Oh. On top of her makeup, just pats it on. And I started to do that when she told me that a few years ago. It's fantastic. It's fine to put creams on on top of makeup. It's absolutely fine. And it's important because as you get older, mm. your skin gets drier. Mm. So now I pat on eye cream maybe four or five times a day, just around here. A bit of A&R. It's great. It's absolutely fantastic. She was right. I love that. Yeah, she's got lots of tips. Beauty tips from Joan. And I wondered about your sense of humour and how you use it in times of when you're feeling crappy. You know the days. Um... And whether that factors in? Well, I like a laugh. Mm -hmm. It's true. All my best friends make me laugh. My son makes me laugh. My sister makes me laugh. Um, yeah, it's, it's a little tough to be around humourless people. Mm. Yeah, I don't think I have too many of those in my life. I think English people use humour to deflect from a lot of situations. Yes. And um, it's a national characteristic. And it makes me laugh. I like it. Mm. It works for me. How would you describe your sense of humour? 
immature. Or how to... <laughs> immature. Yeah, silly and immature, I'm afraid. Are you a practical joker? Mm, probably not. Not really. No, I think just pathetically silly. Yeah, all my friends are quite silly. I like silly. Yes, silly's good. Yeah, silly's good. How does... How does one keep on the path that they want to be on? Like, do you ever set goals? Do you think about the things that you want to do? If somebody offers you something and it doesn't feel right, are you confident enough to say, no, no, that isn't the thing for me, even if on paper it looks wonderful? How do you sort of navigate all of those things? Well, it took me a long time to learn to say no, Mm. quickly. Um, Like only really in the last few years. and I think that's, it's important. I think working with this campaign actually and talking to so many women have really made me realize that we, we, need to, we need to value ourselves as women a bit more than we do mm. because you know, we have to take care of ourselves in order to take care of anyone else. Mm. And so when I speak to these women who are going through the most traumatic times going through their treatment, they've been taught to take a step back and stop worrying about anybody else and give themselves some time mm. to to heal, really. Mm. And in fact, what was very interesting, I was talking to one of our research scientists last night at this party, and she's talking about, this is still at lab level, it's not filtered down yet, but she was telling me about some um, experiments they're doing right now to do with cortisol in the body, which is one of the stress hormones that we release when we're in a panic. And um, they're doing such studies at the moment on how that affects cancer cells mm-hmm. and how it can also affect the efficiency of chemotherapy on cells when cortisol is present. It's early right. days. We don't, we don't know when we'll hear the results of this, if we'll ever hear the results, but just hearing this amazing woman mm. telling me these things, it just hammers home again that you have to look after yourselves. We have to find a way to de-stress and to mm. relax. So I've learned to say no to things that I don't really want to do. I feel I ought to do them. Mm-hmm. And you have to say, I want to do what I'm doing well, and I just, I'm going to say no to that. I want mm. to go home this weekend and be with my family. I'm not going to fly to X to present Y. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pack it all in like I used to when I was much younger. Mm. When I think nothing, I used to get Concord to New York, shoot all day, get Concord back, shoot all day here, go somewhere else. I mean, I never stayed at home. I wouldn't do that to myself now. Mm. I think, no, actually, I want to go to the country and I want to make some jam and I want to be there for my son. I want to chat to my mother. I'm not going to do it. Mm. I'm going to say no, not doing it. And I think, I think perhaps women should think about learning to say that earlier mm. and to really use their time to be what they really want to be and to seize the day. Mm. It's like we're talking about about liking roast because we're feeding our families. There's an element of wanting to provide, but then uh, the great expression, I'm sure you've heard it, is, as you see on the aeroplanes, um, put your own oxygen mask on before you help yeah. someone around you. But it does seem to be, and it's a recurring theme on this oh. podcast, about how difficult it is and how actually to be able to stand up and say, I have to look after myself and what might occur around you, people might perhaps not like that. It's a big, it's a big statement, but it's a really positive one it's a, for your to, health. 
It is, because we cannot be the caretakers if we don't take care of ourselves. Mm. That might only mean taking a 15-minute bath instead of a three-minute shower. Yeah. So you can actually... Yeah. I mean, we're not, we're not talking about taking, you know, 10 months off walking around the Sahara thinking about ourselves. No. <laughs> we're just saying little times that you can just say, actually, yeah. I don't need to do that because I'm going to do this. It's important. Yeah, it's the, it's the, it is about factoring it in and it doesn't require being an Instagram meditator or an Instagram yoga bunny no. and living a completely different lifestyle. Yeah, it's about slowing down just a little bit sometimes. Mm. What's your favourite way to slow down? Is it a bath? Yeah, short, short-term relief. Definitely <laughs> a hot soak in the bath. I take one pretty much every day of my life. Sometimes I take two. Really? Okay, I love a bath, but it dries my skin out. How, do you just moisturise like bilio? Do bath oil? Oh. In the bath. And um, yeah, I find that makes a huge difference actually. German and bath oil in the bath, um, and I don't. I'm not religious about anointing myself afterwards, but I try to <laughs> a couple of times a week. Yeah, I do. I'm now going to change the, the dialogue in my head when I'm um, putting on moisturiser and call myself, anoint myself. I love that. Yeah, and you can add a little extra just almond oil to the bath too, which helps. Speaking yes. of which, I often ask my guests what are their favourite books. Is there a book that you often recommend to people? Well start depends who they are and what they want to read i mean i i mean i i think i probably do two-thirds fabulous reading really good reading almost all rereading because i sort of i read a great deal in my youth and a great deal up until i had my son so i and i reread them all because i read fast so like i had a Jane Austen Festival with myself last year. I read most Graham Greens last year. Um, I'm about to have a Thomas Hardy uh, revival in uh. the Hurley household. So I do all that sort of rereading all the time because I probably have read almost all I wanted to read. Of course, there'll be some people I haven't read. Mm. Um, I'll have a Nabokov session, but I will also temper that with thrillers, which I love. So I love I'll, yeah, I love a thriller too. And I really like American thrillers. And they're quite nasty, some of them. Um, I love Harlan Coburn. I love Tess Gerritsen. So they're all urban street thrillers. I adore them. They're all quite nasty. You get on very well with my Nikki French, who actually a husband and wife team, English. I love those books. Mm. Um, So me and my sister, we all fight over the new ones of those that come out. And then we all go back and, you know, go back to... Have you ever, have you read any of the Mo Hayden novels? No. I will Mo Mo Hader. I will write this down and leave this with you, Elizabeth. The first book, it's English or American? English. Oh, sure. I believe, Um, but so good. Modern, modern, thriller, terrifying, like a web of absolute. So yes, I will leave that. Thank you. Okay. Good. I shall pass it on to the other Hurley readers. We all share (laughs) this. Okay. (laughs) The Hurley Book Club. Yeah. Excellent. Tell me a little bit more in terms of the campaign about what might be happening for the rest of the year and moving forward. Well, I don't know if you noticed, but we changed the actual look of the pink ribbon this year. Is it bolder? It, no, it's tattered. Not, not that one, but the one in all the graphic images. Mm-hmm. It's a tattered, frayed ribbon this year because we felt that that symbolised that it's gone through a lot of wear and tear 
over these 25 years. We've mm. hammered home the message about awareness. And now we've always raised funds, but now we really are, we, people are aware. In England and America, in most European countries, they know about the pink ribbon. They know about breast cancer now. So now we are moving on to a slightly different track where we are really, really, really focusing on fundraising mm. to have more researchers working for us and to find a cure. So that's, that's the direction from now on for us. And you're still travelling a huge amount with this campaign, aren't you? Of course, yeah, always. And long may it continue. <laughs> long may it continue, or not. Well, because that's we want, true. We would like not to have to do it anymore because there isn't any more breast cancer. Mm-hmm. It's happened with lots of diseases. They have found cures. Um, you know, there's no cervical cancer in young ladies now because they get vaccinated. You know, I mean, in my life, people were scared. Mm. Well, my generation, of course, will continue to be so because, of course, we weren't vaccinated. But for youngsters, my nieces, it's gone. Mm. Like polio. Is that the energy that one has to bring to a project like this? Of just, it can't be a battle, it's got to be, this is the end goal, this is what we have to keep striving for. I think so, yes. Mm. We don't want women to die of breast cancer. Mm. Even though there has been so much progress, people still do die. We hear of them every day. Mm. Not everyone makes it. I remember reading an interview with Leonard Lauder, in fact, who said, uh, whatever you want to achieve in life, figure out what that looks like. I'm paraphrasing, by the way, this is not as eloquent as Leonard would have been. Um, uh, Figure out your destination, what that looks like, what it feels like, how you want it to be, and then work the steps back and then retrace your footsteps. And that's how to... Well, we want, yeah, we want a world where women don't die of breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And are there any other messages or anything that you would like to say to listeners about the campaign? Well, I would love it if listeners went to bcacampaign.com and on that they can learn a great deal about breast cancer. They can, um, they can watch a fabulous documentary <laughs> Documentary <laughs> we've just completed um, called Unraveling the Pink Ribbon, um, telling our story of 25 years, telling people what progress has been made, listening to scientists, listening to Evelyn Lauder, mm. listening to ladies who've been through treatment, listening to family members of members who've been through treatment. Um, they can also have a look at how they might be able to help, mm. whether it's by donating, whether it's by using hashtags so that we donate on their behalf. There's a lot of things they can do. It's worth going to the website. Well, it probably goes without saying, listeners, but all of those links will be in the show notes and you'll be able to click through and uh, watch the documentary and read up on what, and everything that Elizabeth has described. But for now, thank you so much. Thank you it's very much, Emma. Pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to that special episode of The Emma Gunn Show featuring Elizabeth Hurley talking about her work in the breast cancer campaign. All of the links to everything that we discussed are in the show notes on iTunes and at emmaguns.com. But for now, thank you once again and see you on the next episode.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.